Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of the Private Equity Podcast, sponsored by the Spider Private Equity Program at the Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. I'm Chris McGowan, adjunct professor of entrepreneurship here at Chicago Booth. I teach the Private Equity and Venture Capital Lab and am the faculty advisor for the Sterling Partners Investment Thesis Challenge, as well as the Chicago Booth Private Equity Case Challenge. And I'm joined here in the studio by our executive producer, Megan Fox, as well as class of 2016 grad, Alex Feld. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Chris. Okay, so Alex, it's it's fantastic you're here uh, today, and uh, we've known each other now for uh, almost five years, and it was such a pleasure to uh, to get to know you here at Booth. Um, but why don't you share with our listeners a bit about your background before coming to school here? Thanks, Chris. Uh, glad to be here. So I uh, went to school in the Midwest. I went to University of Michigan. Uh, after Michigan, I joined Barclays Investment Banking here in Chicago. Spent most of my time uh, covering financial sponsors and industrial businesses. And uh, quickly, after about two years, uh, transitioned to GTCR, which is a private equity firm here in Chicago, where I spent most of my time. Great firm. In uh, they are. It is a great firm where I spent most of my time in software, telecom, and and media investing. Sort of the what they refer to as the TMT group now, which was information services and technology. While I was there, got it. Okay, great. Um, so I remember as a student, you juggled both a busy academic schedule at school, but with some very interesting extracurricular activities. It's it's almost like you had a a full time job while you were still. Uh, a student at Booth. So tell us a little bit about that. So I did. I, I, I worked while I was in school. Uh, I basically, after GTCR, synced up with uh, a family office here in town that didn't have much alternatives exposure and convinced them to let me come work there and help build out their alternatives program, which was multifaceted from direct private equity investing private equity fund investing, direct real estate investing, and real estate fund investing. And so um, it was a totally new corner of the world for me. I had sort of had my head down for a few years in in regular way, private equity, Mm -hmm. looking at the individual deal and sort of picked my head up and saw things from the LP perspective, saw different asset classes, far uh, further down the spectrum of, of size of businesses. We were looking at micro cap to mid cap type businesses. Uh, just a whole new sort of corner of the world. It, it really was something that I attribute a, a lot of my learning to given it really helped me pick up my head and, and see investing through a whole new light. That's great, Alex. And I have to just compliment you because um, while a lot of people work very hard at Booth, I, I struggle to think of another individual that's you know, worked as hard academically and then had, you know, the, the full-time job, you know, on top of that as a full-time student. Um, so, so was that always the plan to, uh, to come to Booth and, and get a job at the same time? <clears throat> I'd say it wasn't, it wasn't any um, premeditated plan. It was more a function of I was really trying to figure out whether I wanted to go to school or work. And hmm. as I started talking to people around town about continuing to work in lieu of going to school, it basically became apparent to me that there was this hole in some of these family offices, and I thought, you know, it sort of morphed into, could I dual track both? Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I think it, it resonated with a few people in town who 
really wanted exposure to alternatives, but didn't really, you know, have an organization that was sort of set up to do so. Um, and so it really just was a, you know, snowball effect, which landed in this working during school, um, you know, situation that was, it, it was great and fun and I learned a ton. Yeah. Um, you know, and actually interesting things came out of it. We, uh, one of the deals that we passed on uh, during school was a small, smaller business at the time. We, were, we looked at investing in it. We passed. We should have done the deal. Uh, it grew substantially and is actually now a, a TPO portfolio company, which was uh, painful to watch them grow, not being invested in it, but, but, <laughs> but pretty uh, fun to see it sort of come full circle and, and is now a company that I spend a lot of time with on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, just for our listeners, TPO stands for the Pritzker Organization, which is where Alex works now, and we'll get to that, you know, in a second. So, but just just to, to go back for one second, so you said that your your thesis, your story, kind of resonated with a number of family offices. Did you basically have this idea that you were pitching to several family offices while you were a student? Um, I, I would say, a, as I was meeting more and more people around town, the idea began to form real time in my head that maybe someone would hire me while I was in school. Yeah, um, and you know, it takes a a, a entrepreneur, entrepreneurial family office to take a swing like that. Yeah. And what's interesting is a lot of these family offices are very entrepreneurial because that's how they made their money to become a family office. And so, um, yeah. so the uh, firm that I synced up with was led by a, a very strong entrepreneurial dynamic patriarch. And, um, you know, he's sort of saw an opportunity that I saw and it was a really fun partnership for a few years and and frankly still very close with the family and firm. That's great. That's really that's really great. Um so why don't you um let, let's go back in time. I mean you and I actually had a lot of great conversations about <clears throat> the many options you had, job offers uh coming out of booth. Uh so tell us a little bit about what kind of tipped the decision for you to join the family office that is now, you know, TPO, the Pritzker organization. Yeah. So for, for me, it was a little less about institutional private equity versus family office versus something else. And it was more sort of the opportunity set that existed at whatever firm I would, I would, I would uh, be lucky enough to join. And, and basically what I was looking for was a place with a ton of auto autonomy, a way to really get at bats that, I could get great experience and, you know, learn firsthand sort of the, the deal business while yeah. at the same time learning from people who, who have been doing it forever because it's an apprenticeship business. And if you don't have good mentors, you're not going to progress very far. And finding something that struck the balance between those two is quite challenging because you either end up in a firm where there's so many layers that you don't have the autonomy or you end up in a place where you have so much autonomy that you're not learning from anyone. Mm. And so when I sort of came across TPO, the way I looked at it was you basically have a extremely committed um, and experienced principal and Tom who's basically been, you know, as best I can tell in the private equity business for 60 years. Right, Tom, Tom being Tom Pritzker. Tom Pritzker. Yep. And Tom hired an extremely senior private equity professional who was a, a longtime partner in Goldman's private equity business. Okay. And basically those two sort of run the operation. The team is very small. 
and there was a bunch of capital sitting on the sidelines. And to, to me, that felt like a good marriage of going to learn from really smart people who have been doing it for a long time, but they're not going to have the time in the day to sort of babysit you know, every deal for every second. And so the autonomy and, and sort of leash to, to learn has been um, extremely long, which I think I've, I've learned a lot from. Yeah. So, so when you uh, knew that you were going to be joining the Pritzker organization, um, was there anything that you did to prepare yourself for that before you actually walked in your first day? Well, I guess the first and first and foremost, there's a lot of Pritzker uh, investment arms that you got to figure out, you know, a little bit of where you're going to work and the story of who you're going to work for. Sure. And so, you know, it takes, you know, there's a lot of firms around town. And so, um, you know, orienting myself with Tom and really getting to know Tom and his family and what he was trying to build was something that was paramount for, for taking that job. And, you know, I'd say the other thing is, is, at least, at least sort of how I look at it, my pre-MBA private equity role, facts are sort of king. Mm-hmm. And if you know all the facts and you know everything inside and out, you can be, you know, do a great job at what you're being tasked to do. Yeah. And post-MBA, it was much more facts. You have to know all the facts, and that's a prerequisite for starting, but it's a lot grayer. Mm. There's interpersonal dynamics you're talking to management teams very often and dealing with problems that don't have black and white answers right right and so i really leaned in heavily knowing that i was going to a lean shop leaned in heavily to some of that interpersonal opportunity that i had at the family office you know to talk with managers talk with management teams and orient myself around some of the you know more interpersonal side of the deal business that I hadn't been as exposed to as a pre-MBA associate. Yeah, so that's an interesting contrast, which is so, just to paraphrase, on the on the pre-MBA side, it's, it's driven with a lot more, uh, you know, quantitative or even qualitative, but, you know, um, facts, as you put it. But you said the, the subtleties of dealing with uh, people and the partnerships you need to form, the judgments you have to make around people, you, you, you saw that almost immediately in the post-MBA role. The, uh, immediately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there are so many questions and things that come up on a daily basis that are, the outcomes are judgment calls, not answers. And, yeah. And it's, it's hard, and I've made a bunch of mistakes, and, you know, the, the people I work for are, are perfectly happy to use mistakes as learning moments as opposed to scolding moments which is fun (laughs) Um, but it's been it's it is totally that element of it is totally different Hmm. so i don't know if this is a fair question but but can you draw any distinctions or maybe even the similarities between the more traditional institutional fund that you were at pre-mba versus the family office sponsored fund that you're at now yeah i mean i'd say this the similarities are you know the i'd say two of there's sort of three components of diligence that we spent a bunch of time on what do you pay for the asset what do you do when you own it and Mm -hmm. what do you how do you sell it yeah and you know we spend the vast majority of our time on the first two at tpo and i'd say the the diligence and rigor that we put behind doing a, a, 
a platform investment looks very similar to a traditional private equity firm. I'd say we think a lot about four, five, six, and seven year models because that's oftentimes how the world orients themselves. And okay. so that process looks a lot like private equity. Yeah. We then layer on a 10, 15, and 20 year model because, mm. you know, our capital is just a little bit different. And, yeah. and if it makes sense to own a business for 20 years, Tom is perfectly happy to, to do so. Okay. So I'd say there are, there are a lot of similarities. And then we sort of layer on the next, you know, 10 years of the model, both the actual model and, and what the business may look like. Okay. So, so you have to pull together the traditional, say, five-year view but then you have to layer on top of that a longer term view. Yeah, I would say our underwriting process and materials and things like that look very similar to a private equity firm, as best I can tell, you know, what a private equity firm would, would underwrite with a, with a added component of why it may look different in, in TPO land versus, you know, traditional private equity land. But, but the, the table stakes is certainly the you know fundamental diligence that that any investor sh should and, and is doing. Got it, got it, and and not to ask you to expose any of the secret sauce of of, of TPO, but but what are some of the things that that um, you would say um, uh, the family office brings to companies and assets that that differ from say other you know other firms? Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest things that I see is we like to give the management team a canvas to do what they want to do and think is in the best interest of the business for mm. the long term. Okay. So a really attractive business for us is a company that has very nice free cash flow characteristics, but has no free cash flow because they have so many opportunities to take the dollars and deploy it back in the business. Reinvest. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that could be M&A, that could be organic growth. Mm. Um, but we are very focused on management teams that have a vision of what to do with the free cash flow that their business generates. I see. Because we aren't yield-oriented investors and we're trying to grow these businesses for a long period of time. And, mm. and with a lean team, we can't have 40 portfolio companies. And so we'd rather have a smaller number of much bigger companies. Okay. So do you take a different approach to the uh, capital structure or, or use of debt than say a, a traditional firm g given the reinvestment in cash flow that you guys are interested in backing? Yeah, we, we tend not to, um, so I'd say yes, generally speaking, we, we take a little bit of a different approach with debt. Mm -hmm. We are users of sort of unitronch, first lean, you know, senior type structures. And we tend to, as you get into the second lean or mez and, you know, capital starts to cost 11, 12% or something like that. We tend to, you know, sit there and say, let's continue to use the senior leverage as far as it can push us and yeah. not put too much debt on the business such that we, you know, hamstring the free cash flow that may be coming out of it to reinvest back in the company. Yeah. Do you guys have any favorite types of businesses, business models, industries that you like? Um, so we're generalists, yeah. and we, you know, makes it so much so much challenging. If you're a you know consumer retail investor, you sort of get to see the same movie over and over and spot trends and and things like that, which you know is a big strategic advantage. We 
generally like businesses. We're, we're not getting into the business to swap CEOs out. We're mm. not getting into the business to financially engineer our way to returns. Yeah, we, we like businesses with CEOs who have a long vision and runway and mm -hmm. desire to execute that vision. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, it could manifest itself in pouring concrete or, you know, rolling up fast food franchisees. Yeah. It, it really is uh, across the board. Yeah. Neat. Do you, does your story resonate well with say family owned businesses? Uh, very often. Yeah. Yeah. Fa families um, tend to feel that they're, you know, the asset is being placed at a better home than, um, you know, than a, a traditional private equity firm, not because there's anything wrong with the the private equity firm that they're trading to just because right. the private equity firm that they're trading to they know is it's a transitory ownership period and and view ours as if you get to sit across the table from the person you're selling it to you, you may be sitting across from the table from the person that's going to own it for the next 30 or 40 years yeah okay so that must be a big part of how in this very competitive market um uh to buy assets that you try to differentiate yourself versus other other buyers or other firms? Yeah, I, I, so we we look in auctions, we see all the, you know, investment banking flow that goes to, you know, goes broadly uh, or sent out broadly. Um, and we take swings at businesses and those processes, but we tend not to be overly successful uh, in transacting in those situations. We, <laughs> we um, so that's funny, we try not to be Overly successful and overpaying, I think is what you're saying. Okay, fair enough. We, we, we tend to do really well in situations where there's some quirkiness to the situation or mm. seller or yeah. it's a management buyout or there's a family that's in an asset that they're a minority shareholder and they don't want to get out so they're helping you know facilitate a longer-term plan. Really, what we pride ourselves on, I guess, is twofold. One, we're extremely flexible mm. and and try to put the capital structure and equity account together that's best for the business. Yeah. And two, we're extremely commercial. So if it makes sense for us to be a minority, we'll be a minority. If it makes sense for us to be a majority, we'll be a majority. Yeah. We will keep people in. We will take people out. We, you know, are again extremely flexible with how we. Um, deploy our capital. Yeah. Okay. So in this competitive environment, I'm sure there are, you know, funds who are trying to sell against your model. So w what are some of the things that you have to maybe take some extra time explaining to a management team or to a co-investor that says, you know, this, you know, this is actually a good way to go. Um, or don't, don't, don't worry about the negative selling points that other people are making. Yeah. So, um, obviously the, Sellers know all of their options generally. They yeah. generally know that you can sell to a strategic, you can sell to a private equity firm, you can sell to a family office, and every flavor in between. Yeah, I'd say the biggest um, knock or concern that we hear is around liquidity for management teams. And right. in a traditional private equity model, it's extremely straightforward. You, buy the business, you roll some equity in the deal, you get some options, and five years later, some, something is gonna happen to crystallize all of that. Right, hopefully end of the rainbow result. Exactly, right. Right. exactly. In our model, it's a bit different because we you know, effectively say that we're 
perfectly happy to sell a business. We're perfectly happy to own a business. We we want to do what, whatever is right for the company. And in the Pritzker case, that in some instances was owning businesses for 40 or 50 years, mm. at which you know a lot of these businesses will outlive all of us. And so yeah. um, we, we have given that a lot of thought and I would say been extremely thoughtful to accommodate the needs of management teams mm. to be competitive in the marketplace. So okay. if, they, if, if a management team is looking for a private equity-like deal, sometimes they should just be with a private equity firm because they want to be with a private equity firm. But if they like our mousetrap but are, are nervous by the compensation model, we've come up with ways to synthetically sort of create a liquidity event for our management teams and be thoughtful around being competitive in the marketplace because, it, as you noted, it is extremely competitive. I see. So, so someone doesn't have to feel like they're on the same say 15 or 20 year time frame if that might be the time frame for TPO. No, we we expect that they won't be. Got yeah. it. Yeah. And Got we it. hope that they will be, but expect that they won't be. Right, right. Yeah. And that you know, like take for example if you have a uh, a younger management team maybe that works out well. If you have someone who is, you know, 5 years from retirement, they may think about a 20 year hold differently. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we 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 have been um, you know, we have several portfolio companies and I'd say no uh, structure is identical but oh, really oh, interesting you know different flavors of different structures that you know make sense for that particular management team at that particular time and we yeah. don't we don't dictate what the you know flavor of the package will be we it's very collaborative with the management yeah teams. It sounds like never a dull moment and a lot of creativity going into structuring yeah. so because your firm is so I guess, flexible and can do things that, say, traditional firms or funds cannot do. Um, do, do you partner often with other uh, firms or like-minded family offices, or do you find that things are so unique that it probably works just to go it alone? No, so we, we, do, we do partner with people. So I'd say to orient, to orient ourselves around our partnership, our, our business is generally call two-thirds to three-quarters what I'd characterize direct control situations mm. where we're buying platform in, or making platform investments around businesses that we own and control. And the other one-third to a quarter is opportunistic stuff. It could be a co-investment, could be a growth investment, preferred MES. It could be sort of if we think the risk-reward is good, we'll, we'll look at it. And so we we partner with people on both ends. We on the on the sort of opportunistic bucket, there are industries that are less are are less conducive for long-term ownership, but things that we think we should have exposure to. On the flip side, on our sort of control business, we tend to use partnership for people that we think will be value add and and you know a, a, there are other sort of family offices out there that have long data capital and are interested in doing a deal when when you know we're we're doing it. They're interested in, in doing a deal alongside of us and and you know we've done it several times and have found people to be extremely valued to have sort of around the table with us. Great, Alex. So many firms are employing operating resources. They might have operating 
partners on staff. Um, how do you guys think about that strategy for, for GPO? Well, for us, it's, it's actually a real-time uh, topic of conversation. We're, we're thinking a lot about how do we both engage new executives that are sort of in the network and continuing to build the network to allow us to participate in situations that are hairy for some reason or yeah. we would need sort of operational expertise to think we could get something done. Um, and then two is sort of how do we sort of lean back on the you know existing network that we have within our portfolio mm. to sort of cross-pollinate knowledge both within our portfolio and pluck knowledge out of our portfolio to make new investments. Okay. And so on the former, we're thinking a lot about, you know, there's a, a lot of different flavors of what people, how people engage with executives. On, on one end, you have firms who have 100 executives sort of on their org chart yeah, and they- Payroll. <laughs> on their payroll. It's not cheap. And they, <laughs> And they, you know, pay them some amount of money to be smart people around the table when when uh, the help is needed. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, you have firms that will go all in with executives and back them to execute on a vision, build a company, buy a company, whatever it may be. Yeah. For TPO, we 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 haven't formulated a firm thesis in that. There are some interesting things about TPO that make executive engagement um, both a different seat for an executive to come sit in mm -hmm. and more challenging. And I think there are pluses and minuses with a place like TPO, one of which being, you know, we're trying to build a diversified platform of companies. And mm -hmm. so if we do a fast food restaurant roll up, that's sort of our bet in the restaurant space. We'll look at other things, but most of the investments we make, we will express through that company. Okay. And so- Kind of becomes your platform for the entire sector. Exactly. Okay, and yeah. so having a bunch of restaurant resources on staff that aren't spending time with our restaurant company mm. is probably not gonna be an amazing use of time because most of the investing is going to happen through that business. I see. Okay. And so for us, that's a that's a little bit of a delicate balance to strike versus a private equity firm who may look at restaurants all day, every mm. day, and build a whole fund of them. Yeah. And it's really valuable to have those people on staff. Yeah. And so for us, I think it's we're thinking a lot about it. We haven't cracked the nut per per se on mm. on on figuring that out. I I don't think it will be a rigid point of view on the way we engage. I think it will be much more bespoke and you know, e e similar to the way we think about management teams and, and the compensation programs will be much more, um, you know, b build a flavor of it that works for the management team that you're talking to or executive that you're talking to. Yeah, interesting. So, so going back to just the flexibility um, uh, of your model, um, where do you start to draw some lines around, I, I, you see so many private equity firms who have traditionally done late stage buyout, but they'll also do say growth equity. And sometimes that strays into, you know, venture and, you know, kind of on and on. Um, there are other axes where you can, you can be very domestic, but then start to stray into, you know, international, you know, waters. That's how do you guys kind of start to draw dotted lines around the activities? I'd say it's for us it's pretty challenging because we don't have to 
write a PPM that tells LPs exactly what we're going to do. Okay. We have <laughs> we have one LP, yes. and if and if something looks interesting, yeah, he is um, extremely commercial, and if it's interesting and good risk reward, he wants to do it. Um, and so, I'd say for us, it, the flexibility is great because mm. we have some for sure venture venturey smallish looking investments that yeah. we think look like that venture part of the curve. And we also have very traditional buyout looking type investments and yeah. everything in between. Okay. So the flexibility is great, but it but it makes the it makes the mandate a lot of fun because it scratches the intellectual curiosity itch, but yeah. it makes it tough because the aperture is so wide. The aperture is, you know, the funnel at the top is extremely, extremely wide. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, so thinking, just in the realm of kind of advice to our listeners. Um, uh, so, so this is your fourth year um, uh, at a booth, fourth year at TPO. Are there a couple things that you wish you had known upon graduation before before starting your your full time uh, career back up? Yeah, I'd say I'd say two things, and they're they're inter interrelated. One is your network is sort of everything. Mm. It's everything you have, and leaning on your network is by far the most valuable thing that you'll be able to do because. There's always someone out there that will forget more than you'll ever know about something you're looking at. Yeah. And so I can't overemphasize how important it is to build your network right. and stay current on your network. Just meeting someone four years ago at a conference doesn't really mean much. You yeah. know, you've got to really stay, invest the time back in the network. And the other, which is quite related to that, which, um, I, you know, something that I... I'm surprised happens so much, but you know, have have really tried to take it to heart. Is just do what you say you're going to do. Because mm. there are a lot of people that will overpromise and underdeliver, yeah. and it's a really um, tough thing to have happen. And yeah. you know, just by doing what you say you're going to do, people tend to respect that. Yeah. And, and so I'd say both of those things, um, you know, are I can't overemphasize how important they are, and and it's not like you reinvest back in your network when you get out of business school. It starts, you know, it's started a long time ago. Yeah, and it should so, be a, con a, yeah. a continuous, yeah. continuous and joyous effort, right. I, I would think. Right, and it, it, it's fun. I mean, one thing always begets another. And I think, um, you know, meeting interesting people and having that lead to meeting more interesting people is, is one of the best parts of this job, I think, because you're always sort of, especially, uh, you know, in a, in a seat where we're generals, you're always sort of looking for the next one, right. which is, which is a lot of fun. And, and just, you know, it, it's reciprocal. People will call on you and ask you of things. And so, you know, the same way you'd expect someone to lean in to help you, you, you got to reciprocate and, and do the same for them. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. So, so I know, um, private equity is called private for a reason, but, um, Alex, can you tell us about uh, a business or an asset that we might be surprised that uh, TPO has invested in? Uh, sure. So uh, about a year ago, actually a year ago next week, uh, TPO made investment uh, alongside a uh, new sponsor um, in, in Atlanta 
to basically start and build a express conveyor car wash business. Oh, really? And so okay. we uh, started with four simultaneous deals to bring together 22 car washes. Yeah. Uh, and we have since added uh, a few more. We're up to 32 with good line of sight to, uh, you know, 40 or 50 or 60, we think. Wow. Um, and it is a industry that I did not know much about. I'm learning quickly. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really fun, really fun space. It's a space that, you know, private equity has, has certainly played in. Mm. Um, but we're learning a lot. And it's, it's certainly, if you ask me, if I ever thought I'd be in the car wash business, the answer is definitively no. But yeah. but super excited that we are, and it's been it's been a blast. Neat. So it sounds like it is a um, a fragmented market, and and the strategy here is, is consolidation. So, with thirty two car washes, as best we can tell, we are eighth or ninth largest in the country. Surprisingly. Really? Okay. I would um, not have known that. <laughs> and, and and so. It is highly fragmented, right. and we think there's a, a, a real opportunity to continue to roll up the space and build a uh, cohesive platform uh, with some pretty substantial scale in pretty short order. Wow, and, and with that, I could I could see that fitting into a traditional kind of five-year model or you know fitting into more of a very long-term hold. Yeah, I think that this is probably a perfect one where you know, we, with the management team and, um, you know, our, our partners in it, we, we are sitting around the table and we're all looking at each other saying, let's do what's best for the business. And yeah. right now what's best for the business is we've got our head down and we are growing this thing at a, at a what we think is a, a rapid clip and trying yeah. to move uh, a million miles per hour. But everyone is, is, you know, again, looking at each other saying, let's, let's do what's best for the company and, and you know, I don't know what the answer is to that, but but we will we will find out in short order, hopefully. Ah, very interesting. Okay, so that was very interesting to hear about the car wash business. What else might surprise us that is in your portfolio? Um, we have an investment in in what is the uh, largest domestic Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, franchise business. So we have huh. roughly seven hundred and twenty. KFCs across the country. Is that right? Um, wow. And this management team is uh, phenomenal restaurant operators, and they are buying basically a unit or two a week. Okay. And, uh, this is similar to the car wash. This is a um, this is a roll up strategy, and they're moving at um, you know the the speed of light. Fast it, clip. Yeah. Yeah. How large was the original platform that you guys started with? So when we first started talking to the company, uh, they had about 500 units, okay. and have this. So they basically added 220 units in, call it a, a year and a half or wow. so. Wow! Wow! It's like 40% growth in in units in just yeah. a year. Or so that and that they, is pretty fast. And they're you know on top of sort of the M and A story, they're fantastic restaurant operators. Operators, okay. And they, have a culture that is religiously focused on good people and and keeping all fifteen thousand employees extremely happy. Yeah, um, and they run great restaurants. Yeah, fantastic. And and I can tell looking at you, you might have one more to tell us about. Uh, the other uh, the other business that I, I I spend a bunch of time with is our we have a uh, 
cable and fiber business uh, in, in the southeast. Um, and they are eff effectively a, a cable business in the markets that they are incumbents in and are growing rapidly uh, through fiber deployment in new markets in the southeast and sort of uh, markets that are underserved from a broadband capacity uh, standpoint. And, you know, that's one where the business has it, it's a business with great free, free cash flow. The TPO has basically said, let's invest it all back into growing this thing. Um, and so we are expanding markets at a very, uh, a very rapid clip, which hmm. has been, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's, so I guess true to the description of being, you know, flexible and being generalists, you've just told us about, you know, consumer services business, restaurant business and TMT. So that's, that's quite, quite variety. So yeah. It must yeah. must make going to the office pretty interesting. No day, no one day is uh, the same as the other. Yeah, and you know we, we really, I mean, the portfolio. If you if you look across it, it, it really um, does touch sort of almost all sectors of the economy, which is which is fun. It, it it's one fun because it's interesting, and two uh, helps inform the next deal we see because we've got either a point of view from a different portfolio company, or you know we're one phone phone call away from you know, someone we deem to be an expert in the space. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, Alex, well, that was that was really great. Appreciate you being just so generous with uh, with your time and, uh, and sharing uh, quite a bit about uh, the Pritzker organization. And uh, so, listeners, I um, uh, hope you really enjoyed that conversation with uh, Alex Feld, class of 2016, here at the Booth School of Business. And um, please, look out for our other podcasts. Uh, we'll be trying to bring you uh, fresh new content uh, from uh, our alumni experiences in private equity. Uh, so uh, keep us posted.